0: I was asked to give a talk on concrete solutions to the maritime disputes within the Philippines and China. So it's very specific what I was, uh, this uh, issue that I was requested on. Now concrete solutions does not refer to paving the various reefs with with cement as has happened recently. But what I would like to do is to think of concrete solutions in, in terms of simple and doable uh, actions. No? Now, For many years, more than 25, 30 years now, we've had so many solutions being offered uh, and so many workshops, so many conference building activities, as uh, Bob mentioned, that actually uh, anything I say now will probably be old hat because someone would have already proposed it somewhere at some time. And uh, as I was going through the last uh, couple of days, actually, I realized that being the last speaker, a lot of what I am saying now will probably be, a lot of it will have been already uh, said by uh, uh, one of the previous speakers. So let, let me take a slightly different uh, track. First, let's generally look at what are the interests at stake. No? And here, I'm looking at only the Philippines and, and uh, China. Okay? Uh, there are competing interests, of course. No? And the thing is, the competing interests of these two countries uh, have different uh, priorities. The Philippines is a developing country with a growing population of over 100 million by now scattered across 7,500 islands uh, in a compact marine rego- region that is rich in marine resources that are directly accessible to the coastal communities. Uh, its principal interest in the South China Sea, or more specifically, its EEZ, uh, which is uh, referred to as the West Philippine Sea. Uh, these are best described in order priority more or less as energy security, first, food security, and maritime security. Note that the first two of these priorities directly relate to its development okay now energy security appears to be the primary uh, uh, driver of the Philippines decision to throw its hat into the South China Sea disputes in the late 1960s the Western Palawan sedimentary basin which encompasses the southern half of the, the West Philippine Sea and extends to the Spratly Islands uh, region is currently it's only viable petroleum <sighs> province. It is where the deep Deepwater gas to power project is located that project is owned by Shell, Chevron, and PNOC, and it has produced, for, the vari- for since, it's, uh, since it started, uh, it has produced 20 to 30% of the national power requirements. Okay? This single natural gas platform has enabled the Philippines to maintain a targeted energy mix that relies on indigenous petroleum energy resources. Uh, a significant proportion, about half, one third to one half of the energy mix of the Philippines is therefore indigenous because of this. And that has been key to its economic resilience and growth through the, 19, uh, through the early 2000s uh, and up to the present. Now, you take away this component, and therefore, the country will become absolutely dependent on imported fossil fuels, and energy prices will be far more volatile and vulnerable to external factors. That, uh, em- that uh, very quickly uh, emphasizes why this is important to the Philippines. Now, food security comes in a second, because up to, what, up to 20% of the country's total fish production has consistently come from the West Philippine Sea. Fish remain the principal source of protein in the Filipino diet and provide subsistence directly to coastal fishing communities facing uh, the West. Okay? The maintenance of fish production and access to the fishing grounds is key to social and economic stability and security along the coastline facing the South China Sea. In recent decades, our communities have even undertaken directly the task of establishing local marine protected areas, now numbering over 1,700, you know, with varying degrees of success, of course. The point is that this is intended to ensure direct local access to food resources independently of the markets uh, in, the, uh, in the urban uh, areas. Now, without access to these fishing resources, the already poor coastal communities will become even poorer. This will stymie efforts to alleviate poverty and create conditions right for social disorder. Now, maritime security is the third, on account of the vantage points provided by both Scarborough Shoal to the north and the Spratly Islands to the south. Uh, Scarborough Shoal is strategically located adjacent to Manila in Subic, uh, and from there, one can surveil and potentially control all maritime and air traffic into and out of these key nodes of Philippine commerce and governance. The Spratly Islands, on the other hand, lie between two major sea routes through the South China Sea, including one that links Manila to other Philippine ports and other Philippine ports to the rest of Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. It also straddles routes from the Asian mainland into the historical, well, the historical uh, southern backdoor, shall we say, uh, region between Malaysia and the Philippines. Now, if we look at China, however, which is already several orders of magnitude, much larger, more powerful, a slightly different picture emerges based on its more recent activities. These interests of China appear to be in a different order of priority, beginning with maritime security, second food security, and third with energy security. Maritime security appears to be the primary interest of China, given the extreme emphasis it has laid on ensuring that the South China Sea becomes a defensive zone to protect its southern coast from its perceived rivals. The South China Sea has been incorporated into its defensive perimeter to secure access and control of its coastal cities, industries and ports. The rapid construction of massive artificial islands at huge expense between 2014 to 2016 demonstrates the absolute importance of of, uh, the China places on this primary interest. This also complements the government's need for political security as the South China Sea is often portrayed as the arena of US containment of China. And hence, control of this maritime area represents an assurance of sovereignty. The historical narrative deployed by China is the basis for political support and unity among its people to support the government's policies and initiatives in this regard, despite the negative impact it obviously has on the regional neighborhood. <coughs> Food security stands second on account of the need of southern Chinese provinces, notably Hainan, for access to fisheries resources in light of the decline of fish stocks and resources along its mainland coast. China subsidized and promoted Chinese fishing further into the South China Sea, most especially within the last decade. Now, energy security is listed here as last because despite the much touted and often bannered petroleum riches in the South China Sea, China as a net energy importer with growing needs for even more energy resources would also be interested in these petroleum resources, but it is currently acquiring its energy from undisputed areas closer to its Coast and from the rest of the world from the global market. While it has insisted on joint development of petroleum resources in the South China Sea, it has actually not demonstrated any particular urgency in offering modalities or clear, uh, clear uh, um, um, means or (coughs) negotiated detailed agreements with the little states in this regard. The rhetoric on joint development, at least as far as I'm concerned, thus appears to be deployed primarily for political effect rather than serious proposals. Now, despite these competing interests, however, The Philippines and China actually do have common interests. Both require the economic security that is provided and enabled by maritime trade. And therefore, they both have an interest in the freedom of navigation and overflight for purposes of trade and travel. Both have an interest in ensuring the freedom of communication, enabled by submarine cables and pipelines, which now are are becoming increasingly more important. Um, Both uh, since they support international commerce. Both countries have an inherent interest in the environmental security. Uh, of this area, particularly in preserving the resilience and productivity of all living resources and habitats throughout the South China Sea. Conversely, they also have an interest in protecting the sea and its resources from, from oil and chemical spills, material discharges, and similar maritime impacts, uh, as well as ensuring the safety of life at sea. Both countries also have an interest in ensuring regional stability through the prevention of crises and incidents with the potential to escalate into armed conflict. No matter how small, how limited they may be. Oh, a sidebar on this uh, issue of armed conflict. And then when we talk about armed conflict, here we're not really concerned about major armed conflict uh, between the great powers. We're concerned about conflicts between China and the smaller Southeast Asian states. Now, we've talked. Uh, previous speakers have already uh, talked about this, so I'll just gloss over them. But there are uh, the point is there are available legal frameworks. Uh, from, um, sourced from international jurisprudence, general international law, and UNCLOS, which is particularly centering around the idea of provisional arrangements of a practical nature. And jurisprudence continues to sort of uphold and refine that idea, uh, turning it into a practical, into an obligation, basically, of states. Also, we've heard mention of UNCLOS uh, part nine, or article one, two, three, for enclosed and semi-enclosed and actually, now, we also have the South China Sea uh, arbitration award in, th- in 2016, the tribunal uh, ruled on the number of submissions of the Philippines that led to the interpretation and application of UNCLOS to some threshold issues in the South China Sea disputes. As everyone knows, this resulted among others in the description of maritime entitlements, establishing that the Philippines is fully entitled to its 200 nautical mile exclusive zone and continental shelf extending from its mainland coast. Subject, however, to enclaves created by the entitlements, the territorial sea entitlements of islands and rocks. It confirmed the position that none of the maritime features in the Spratly Islands region and Scarborough Shoal are entitled to EEZs and continental shelves of their own, but only to territorial seas. Uh, and it also declared as contrary to international law, certain activities undertaken by China within the Philippine EEZ. But while the award offers legal clarity for the Philippines, as well as other Southeast Asian states, as well, and also the international community at large, uh, we know that uh, China refuses still to recognize, accept, or implement the award. Now, since the Philippines cannot enforce this award unilaterally, cannot enforce compliance and implementation, therefore, we stand, the disputes at least in this aspect, stands at a deadlock. This deadlock, however, cannot be sustainable over the long run. Okay. Scenario one, if China forces access to Philippine waters and unilaterally imposes its claims on sovereignty and jurisdictions, this only invites resistance from the smaller Southeast Asian littoral states. Such resistance will only grow as these states realize and quantify the continuing losses, their continuing losses to China's appropriation. This will only maintain the seeds of future friction and conflict, which in turn maintains the possibility of incidents and encounters with potential to, to escalate into armed conflict. China will find it increasingly costly or expensive uh, politically, militarily, and economically to maintain its ability to control the seas, placate littoral states, and exclude other interested states. We take this, uh, take this a little bit from themselves' theory uh, property rights. Littoral states may even make China accountable and responsible for any downturn in the status of resources in the South China Sea making it the target of blame for things such as biodiversity loss, habitat destruction, and environmental degradation. External powers will eventually also ramp up their involvement in the South China Sea upon the invitation perhaps of littoral states who will be seeking to protect their own interests through partnerships and alliances, thus making China's objective of maritime dominance even more elusive and difficult to achieve. However, if we take an alternative scenario, compliance, or Okay, no compliance, but at least conduct consistent with the award, then this would be more in China's long-term interest in favor long-term stability and security for all the parties concerned. The sources of tensions will draw down. The incidents and issues can be resolved in accordance with predetermined (coughs) and clear rules uh, that states previously agreed upon as a fair division of rights and jurisdictions. Literal states will thereby be more open to negotiating and settling outstanding jurisdictional issues once they have had the record of of these kinds of uh, uh, agreements, and perhaps they will even open up to the negotiated settlement of sovereignty claims in exchange for assured access to resources. China does not seem to appreciate that by harmonizing the respective claims with UNCLOS and limiting the scope of sovereignty claims as has been done by all the smaller Southeast Asian states that has actually opened the door for compromise and sharing of the maritime commons of the South China Sea. Now the drawdown intentions arising from resource competition can then lead to a drawdown in the need for maritime security forces Reorient the missions of military and law enforcement units back to their more traditional missions of protecting their homelands, their mainlands, and conservation and protection of the marine environment will promote continued productivity of living resources throughout the South China Sea. This will then obviate the need to make distant claims to distant fishing grounds. Um, this will these will all then contribute to regional peace and stability, which will in turn pull down the need for constantly mobilizing maritime forces and reduce the additional sources of and tensions for the region. The ball literally is in China's court at this point and patently how the South China Sea disputes will develop over time in the near future will be due largely to whether uh, whether it can and how it faces up to the Philippines versus China award and its implications now. Of course, we need to look at what concrete measures are available. And here, I talk about interim measures for a while. Certain measures, similar to provisional arrangements of a practical nature, are in order. Such measures are necessary in order to at least stabilize the situation and prevent further complication, and at le- at the same time, possibly enable the parties to create room for future cooperation and eventual resolution. Now, these interim measures uh, for um, for the short term. Uh, would have the work parties work on their common interests that transcend maritime boundaries. These solutions could be seen as borderless measures. Uh, they can be undertaken individually, only within areas under their own control or imposed only on their own nationals, and yet have beneficial effects for all littoral states. Okay. Some some concrete ideas uh, similar to what has already been uh, uh, propounded earlier parties should openly and expressly commit to the complete freedom of navigation overflight through the South China Sea, with exception perhaps being given to occupied features up to a certain distance, as well as their mainland's respective 12 nautical mile territorial sea zones. Now, um, um, the, the key point here is with respect to military freedom of navigation and overflight, as you know, because China has a very restrictive view of such uh, operations. but, if that were to be simply allowed, then I think one of the major sources of tensions would be uh, addressed. Now, the party should not establish arbitrary and expansive or even unknown or uh, vague military exclusion zones within the South China Sea for whatever reason around their occupied features, as these could create dangers for legitimate commercial navigation and overflight, and actually attract more fun ops. Okay. Now, parties should also openly and expressly commit to the freedom to install and repair submarine cables and pipelines. (coughs) Parties should also undertake all actions to stop activities that cause damage to marine living resources and habitats and cooperate in protecting the integrity of fragile marine living resources and habitats combat illegal trade and endangered marine species and commit to not cause any further damage to the marine habitats. And I, again, I emphasize, these only need to be done in areas that are already under their influence and control and against their own nationals. We're not even talking about enforcing them against the other guys. Now, parties can, these parties can also engage in serious cooperation to establish a working mechanism for joint oil spill response in the area, as well as search and rescue operations and they may also establish direct channels of communication between military, law enforcement, and decision-making units made available that can be made available to respond to incidents and potential crises. These directly address common interests in the South China Sea, regardless of whether they are in the EEZ, the high seas, or uh, the territorial sea or otherwise. Some of the foundations for these, uh, these uh, suggestions have already been laid, such as the memorandum of agreement for cooperation between Philippine and Chinese Coast Guard units, While others are are urgent, but remain to be discussed, such as how to combat trade in endangered species and stopping the destruction of marine habitat. But however, simply addressing these issues, this small, uh, this uh, very short list, I believe would go a long way to at least conserving and protecting resources throughout the South China Sea. They could at least slow down and perhaps uh, uh, slow down the ultimately self-destructive competition uh, for dwindling fishery uh, resources. Now, I look at at some what I call medium term measures as well. This might be a little bit harder to to negotiate and agree upon, uh, and it will take a little bit longer for them to be implemented. Uh, But they would provide, I think, a workable solution to address the question of managing certain resource activities without prejudice to the South China Sea arbitration Award. One way would be to address fisheries and petroleum activities, within the 12 nautical mile enclaves around each qualified feature, sovereignty over which is admittedly disputed between the parties. Such enclaves would exist even without the arbitration award anyway, and could provide the starting point for joint or at least coordinated management. These 12 nautical mile enclaves encompass huge areas of water, often also covering maritime features subject to fishing by all littoral states. Some of these features are uh, in the Spratly Islands there were pointed out by Bob. Now, uh, and, and you see there more or less an estimate of the areas involved. These, let us not underestimate uh, these areas because also these areas happen to be shallower areas that contain the coral reef areas, which are the richest biologically richest areas in the South China Sea. Yeah. Hmm. Within these areas, the parties should not allow destructive fishing okay, uh, by their own nationals, and reciprocal access could be permitted, although conditioned upon the use of sustainable fishing methods. The parties should commit to conserve and protect the marine habitats in areas under their control and allow scientific monitoring and assessment of the health of such habitats to a central uh, repository accessible to all parties. Areas commonly used by the parties should also be subject to reciprocal and cooperative monitoring based on a standard assessment template. They don't need to work with each other they don't need to be beside each other when they do this they can just follow a standard form now. That I think already will go a long way towards improving the fishery situation in the South China Sea. And I take this from our experience in the Philippines where even the uh, protection of one small reef area in a local municipality has been observed to transfer protection for one year from any form of exploitation, dynamite fishing, actual fishing, just one year protection already resulted in a 10% increase in fish catch. So that's something that simple can be done. Now, joint development is the other issue that we've also touched upon. This is my take. Joint exploration development on petroleum resources may be undertaken through a treaty framework that either A, considers the entire South China Sea, not only the areas claimed by the littoral states, meaning beyond even the nine dash line, beyond even the existing areas being claimed, you know, they consider that entire area of maritime commons, or reciprocally, B, reciprocally provide access to each other's undisputed continental shelf areas this means a reciprocal uh, reciprocity a reciprocal stake in the exploration development of petroleum resources by all littoral states anywhere in the south china sea not just the continental shelf of the philippines okay. now even if specific projects will operate at a specific location the arrangement should theoretically enable joint development even on the chinese side of the south china sea as a measure of reciprocity and mutuality <coughs> in interest reciprocity as i keep emphasizing is a basic condition of fairness which is necessary for any joint development proposal to be acceptable to our peoples in addition any treaty framework must ensure transparency through clear terms and conditions these must not be secret <coughs> agreements these must not be agreements with vague wording okay? they must include uh, as bob earlier already raised an express without prejudice clause covering all activities of the parties now, in the alternative, at least for the Philippines, it may be possible to consider a special negotiated concession agreement, currently allowed under Philippine uh, petroleum law. But some such an agreement would need to depart from the existing standard service contract, incorporate special features, uh, most importantly the without prejudice clause, maybe the sharing formula, distribution taxes, applicable laws for employment benefits, dispute resolution, and the love the contract. But again. This must also be transparent and contain, and contain clear terms of conditions. It will probably require its own special law, if ever. Now, in any case, any joint exploration development scheme must be expressly described as an agreement of a practical nature, having no implication on the respective legal positions of the parties. Despite China's refusal to acknowledge the award, its rulings are this ruling is legally binding on both China and the Philippines and any joint exploration development on the Philippine continental shelf, given the Duterte administration's insistence that it's not giving up the award, this can only be justifiable as a purely political accommodation at best, not an act pregnant with legal meaning. If both parties are as sincere as they both claim to be in pursuing joint development, Uh, to improve relations without backing down from their respective claims they should at least acknowledge that this effort is really due to expediency and keeping the peace rather than legality i hope that this gives us enough uh, food for thought thank you very much